0: You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Jewish Matters. And uh, today we're doing something very exciting, which is starting a series on Genesis. And in some ways, it's very intimidating and very daunting. uh, The all-time bestseller, and particularly Genesis, which sets down the Jewish views of the world, mankind, relationships, family. Uh, But we're going to take it on. And the first question is, if you owned a bookstore, what section would you put the Torah in? The Bible, as they call it, the Old Testament, uh, particularly the five books of Moses. So, some people would answer religion, but that's kind of a cop-out. Other people would say spirituality. What does that mean? Uh, Rashi gives a very interesting answer. He says you would put it in the law section. Because while most of the books of the Torah are law and uh, we're going to see an emphasis upon uh, how to conduct one's life, the halakha, uh, the divine commandments, at the same time, the whole book of Genesis really focuses upon what one could see as stories. So do you put it in the storybook, fiction, or if one does believe, nonfiction, of course, as I do believe. So, how do we resolve this dilemma? Rabbi Jonathan Sachs explains, and he points out, that Genesis is, in effect, the story of ideas presented through stories. In other words, it does touch upon philosophical issues, the nature of man, uh, the nature of knowledge, um, how to lead the good life, but it does so through stories. And in doing that, it embeds it in life, first of all. It also allows us to appreciate the gray areas and that each generation will absorb the stories and look at the stories and uh, process them and learn from them on multi-layers. And also different ages can learn from the stories on multiple levels. And so Jewish thought is not like Greek thought, which arranged everything categorically and theoretically, but placed lessons within the context of life. And that's what we're gonna embark on. And um, as we should note, Torah is the all-time bestseller and particularly Genesis is uh, going to grab us. Now, Genesis starts with creation. The Torah's belief in uh, divine creation of the universe and there's much to say about this. The first thing is that uh, over and over, after each day, God saw what he created and that it was good. So creation is good. The world is good. There's a harmony in order to it. There's a beauty to it. There's a di- divine plan within it. Now, the question about age of the universe, science versus religion, Judaism it was not science versus religion. Um, And there are ways to reconcile current scientific understanding with understanding the Torah. I'll just point out, and it's not for this talk, but I'll just point out that the order of creation, first you have light, then you have the basic water, then you have uh, the oceans and sea animals, then you have the earth, land animals, uh, then you have mammals, then you have humans, follows the order of evolution. And Nachmanides points out that God created all of the matter of the universe at the first instant, what's called yeshma ayin, something from nothing, and the rest of the seven days were placing things in their proper order, formation. In other words, through the laws of science, uh, physics, and chemistry, uh, and biology, the world became ordered. Now one could view this as what is usually viewed as um, guided evolution, you could look at it that way, um, or you could look at it as a divine plan. However you look at it, uh, we note that parallel. And so men, human beings are the culmination of creation. Now before we talk about the, the human being, let's talk about the seventh day. Because it says God created the seventh day. Uh, now, if it's the seventh day of creation, it's the Shabbat. So we don't create on the Shabbat. So it said God finished creating on the seventh day. So what? how is the seventh day part of creation? So in the Kiddush, we quote, it says God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. In other words, it is infusing the world, the physical creation, with some higher dimension. Um, And we'll call that spirituality, we'll call that kedusha, call that uh, divinity. Uh, But that is a message, that you have the physical world and the spiritual world. And that'll be the message for man as well. It says, God took man from dust to the earth, and he blew into him the breath of life, the word nishima, breath, being the same as nishama, soul, and man became a living being. So man also is this dual-natured dual, uh, divine soul and physical body. And we're going to see it. It'll get him into trouble. Now, uh, the, before we get to the Garden of Eden, we have the creation of Eve. And the first thing is it points out not good for man to be alone. Rabbi Solovich points out that Genesis, the creation story, emphasizes at the beginning man's mastery of the world. It says be fruitful and multiply, fill the world and dominate it. Man has this divine mission to use the world we're given and Judaism is pro-technology and to use it for his purposes and ultimately not selfish purposes but divine purposes to build a world that represents greater ideals but yet through the physical world. Then later it talks about Man being alone. It talks about the more existential, more internal, emotional side of man, and so God makes for, finds makes for man a azer konegdo. Now, a strange term. A helper opposite him. Is she to help him? She opposite him. So um, some of the commentaries point out that one does not look for a clone. Wasn't one does not look for someone who's just going to say yes. That part of the. Uh, greatness of the relationship between a man and a woman is the differences and growing together and learning to work together with one's differences. And that is what is supposed to be. And they, therefore it says, a man will leave his family and davak ishto cling to his wife. Now what does this mean? Many different interpretations. Uh, one can understand it in an emotional, spiritual Closeness. One cannot, and, and then it said, and they will become one flesh. One could view it as the intimacy infused with spirituality. Judaism's view on sexuality. One can view it as having children and building a family. Uh, so there are many ways to view this injunction, this description of the relationship. So it says, God created them and placed them in the Garden of Eden, and. How do we understand this whole incident? So another thing that is important to be said is that uh, one of the commentaries, Rashi, proposes if the Torah is a law book, just begin it with the laws in the middle of Exodus. And he gives his own answer of why we need to start with Genesis to teach us God created the world and that God is the inception of all. But Nachmanides says that what is Rashi asking, really? He's saying that we could have begun with the middle of Exodus because we can't really understand the beginning of Genesis anyway. The creation story you can't really understand on a simple scientific level. There's other things going on. And, he, and the story of Adam and Eve particularly. God put them in the garden, placed before them all the trees of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the snake came, enticed her to eat it, very puzzling story, but we're not going to explain every verse, but what is the lesson to learn from it? So there's a dilemma. If Adam and Eve were pure souls, and not Maimonides says that before eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, everything was objective, it was true and false. I could jump out the window if I'm on the tenth floor, But I have free will to do that, but I have no desire to do so, unless I'm mentally uh, challenged. So Maimonides says, similar to Adam and Eve, they could still defy God's will, but they had no desire to do so. After they ate from the fruit, they internalized evil and it became a struggle to choose good, because sometimes we identify with the negative, with the self-destructive, with the immediate need for gratification, with the hedonism, with the things which we know our lower voice is telling us, yet we want it, and sometimes we identify ourselves with it. So the question then is, so the Jewish view is there was original sin, unlike the Christians, where original sin means that man is bad, It's original sin that man's nature was changed to be in a state of struggle. So if they had such clarity before, why did they ever eat from the fruit? So Maimonides says this. He says that they felt we can serve God better in a state of struggle and show him that we really want to serve him rather than doing what brings us away from God, what is wrong. So... Judgment and error? A little more than that. Uh, Hubris? Perhaps. But if they had such clarity, how did they fall prey to their own hubris, to their own egos, to their own sense of saying, I know better than God what is right, the Robin Hood syndrome. I I want to take care of the poor. I have to steal from the rich to do it, so I have to. It's wrong. In Judaism, uh, you can't justify what's wrong even for ends that might be right. So, so we've left with a dilemma. According to Maimonides, we have an understanding of what happened and how their nature has changed. Um, but then how did they make the wrong choice? Nachmanides, the Kabbalists, have a different view. Their view is man is supposed to go through this cycle, through this process. Man is supposed to be in a state of struggle. And so the, it was a setup. Eating from the fruit was meant to happen, they were meant to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So why did God even then bother starting to put them in there? To give us the ideal to go back to, as they say, yeah, we've got to get back to the Garden. That because we were in it, because we, the Torah tells us what it is, we yearn, we strive to get back to that state of harmony. And that's what our idea of Mashiach is, and that's what our idea of personal growth is, where certain things that we struggle with, we overcome, we assimilate within us, and it's no longer a struggle, and we go on to the next struggle, the next level to take on. So that's the Kabbalist view. Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzator takes the middle view, that Adam and Eve in the garden needed to go through a process of maturing, of actualizing their physical and spiritual harmony. They weren't there yet, and so they could fall prey to making the wrong decisions so three approaches uh, to understanding the story but whichever approach you take very puzzling and enigmatic and i would say problematic story but what it tells us is human beings are in a state of struggle and we're going to see that throughout the rest of genesis uh, nachmanides says it's uh, that genesis is the book of banishment the book of human beings making wrong decisions and Uh, and uh, being given the consequences of their wrong decisions. Right afterwards, you see Cain and Abel, that uh, the two children, the two sons they have, what happens? They get into a fight. Cain is jealous of Abel and fratricide. Disaster. What happened? So Cain wants to serve the Almighty. He brings an offering to God. And it's not accepted. Abel brings another offering from the best of his animals, of his produce, and it is accepted. Cain is furious, he's jealous, he's angry at his brother. And what should, hit, what should have been his healthy reaction? Wow, even though I brought the first offering, Abel came up with this great idea of bringing your best. I'll do that too but he couldn't get over his ego. And God warns him. And this is one of the most significant verses in the entire Torah and in Genesis. Very little known. God says, if you do good, you can uplift yourself. But sin, transgression is crouching at the door and it can overcome you. This statement lays down the Jewish fundamental principle of free will. That we are masters of our our destiny that we can overcome. But Cain and Abel seemed, able, Cain was not able to. He kills his, tragically kills his brother. And next week we'll address this question of, the beginning of Genesis seems to show us disaster after disaster in human nature. What is it telling us about the human struggle? Judaism recognizes that we are imperfect, but how far will this go? So um, they have another son, Seth, He gives birth to a whole line who have some righteous people, but by and large, as the generations go on, the ten generations from Adam to uh, the flood, things get worse and worse. And when you get to the generation before the flood, at the end of Parshat Breshit, at the end of Genesis, the first section, you have this strange story of uh, these fallen ones who were living in this generation and said the sons of Elohim which could be rulers the sons of rulers took the daughters of men and did what they wished with them what is going on here and then it says the men of renown were in that time uh, the fallen ones and it said each person did what they thought was good in their own eyes and uh, God then says I regret having created this world, man is bad from his youth, and I will destroy the world. So it seems like things have gotten to hit rock bottom for the first 10 generations of humanity. Now, let's first understand this story. Uh, If you look at it on the face of it, there are many different interpretations. Some of the Christian ones talk about fallen angels. There is one Jewish source that talks about fallen angels. B'nai Elohim would be sons of God, angels that came down to earth, that said, we want free will. We want to do what the humans are doing. We can also serve God in that way. And they succumbed to the temptation. Uh, That's one understanding. Another understanding, very innovative, if you look at the story, sons of God, taking daughters of men, behaving wrong. What does it look like? looks like Greek mythology. What is Greek mythology doing in the Torah? So the Malbim says it is, in fact, Greek theology. Do we believe in, uh, in, uh, in the Pantheon uh, on Mount Olympus? No, of course not. Judaism is monotheistic, not polytheistic. But the Malbim says that what is going on here, it says the Torah is relating to us the stories of Greek mythology to tell us the stories people were telling at the time about the gods. Why? People told these stories to justify their own actions. If the gods are behaving this way, right? if they're taking whoever they want, we can behave it this way as well. And um, And obviously the Torah is showing that if human beings do this, justify their own imperfections, their own indulgences, their own hedonistic behaviors and their own uh, rape culture, if you want to call it that, which is described there, uh, if they behave that way, if the gods behave that way, then we can do it. Having such justifications leads to ultimate disaster in society. So that's what the Malbim says this last parsha of the Torah teaches us. Uh, but whichever way, uh, the beginning of Genesis seems to have a rather pessimistic view of Humanity were in a state of struggle, but the first generations were not able to overcome that struggle. But there were certain individuals. Metushela lived uh, a very long life, was a righteous person. Hanoch walked with God and then was taken uh, to heaven. And, of course, uh, next week we will see Noah, who will be chosen to restart humanity, to jumpstart it again. So. Genesis, so much more to say, but uh, this is a beginning to try and understand uh, the depth of the Torah, the insights into humanity and to human nature, relationships between men and women, and ultimately the relationship with the Almighty, which will unfold on a personal and a social level. Have a good evening.